Have you ever wondered how successful architecture, engineering, and construction companies scale their business? Or have you ever wanted guidance on how to get more growth, wealth, and freedom from your AEC company? Well, then you're in luck. Hi, I'm Will Forat. And I'm Justin Nagel, and we're your podcast hosts. We interview successful AEC business leaders to learn how they use people, process, and technology to scale their businesses. So sit back and get ready to learn from the industry's best. This is Building Scale. Our guest today is going to be Jeff Myers. He is the majority owner and CEO of DS Architecture. In 2019, he was listed on Building Design and Construction's 40 Under 40. He has been on the advisory board at Kent State in their College of Architecture and Environmental Design. He's completed the Boston Marathon and finished in the top 5%. He also played for the first ever professional Ultimate Frisbee team. But more than anything else, if you ask Jeff, he would tell you he's an FluMinder, which we're going to be diving deep into today. For reference, an FluMinder is a free-flowing, unique mind and still lives as a respected individual without the burden of society's stigma. Specific to Jeff, he's diagnosed with a mental illness, bipolar, a mental condition marked by alternating periods of elation and depression. Jeff, welcome to the show. Yeah, I'm, well, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. We're excited to have you. We, when we first started talking to you, Jeff, we, you expanded us as people. So we, we are very, very excited to have you on the podcast. You guys also have expanded me as a person. Loved all the info that you were giving us and felt that we could connect with kind of the world here. I think it's the topic that we're going to be talking about today is very stigmatic in our society. And I think that you really have a way of pulling away that stigma. So props to you. No need to prop me. No need to thank me. Uh, God, universe, spirits, whatever you think. You know, I went through what I went through and my shoulders are broad enough. And I'm excited to be on a journey to, to change that stigma. Why don't we right, get right into it? Why don't you tell us how you became CEO of uh, DS Architecture? Yeah, so there's a gentleman named Dave Summers, and he was the founder of the firm. And he asked me to become a partner at age 30. And when he did that, he gave me a poem that he says, this is what describes you, and this is why I want you to become a partner. And it's called What is Success by Ralph Waldo Emerson. And it, it is to laugh often and much, to win the respect of intelligent people and the affection of children, to earn the appropriation of honest critics and endure the betrayal of false friends, to appreciate beauty, to find the best in others, to give of oneself, to leave the world a bit better, whether it be a healthy child, a garden patch, or a redeemed social condition, to have played and laughed with enthusiasm and sung with Exulation, to know even one life has been breathed easier because of you, that is to have succeeded. And that is how, in a short way, I became partner. Now, I have a lot of other things I can talk about, and, and I, will, I will hit on them here. I was an intern at DS Architecture. I started in 2002. And the very first uh, thing David asked me to do was to pick out the color of a receptacle plate. And at that time, there was white, beige, and, and black, maybe brown. And uh, it took me about eight hours <laughs> to, to figure this out. <laughs> he, he believed that the way you teach a young professional is not to put more on their plate, but to expand their plate. And so when you become knowledgeable about something, you're able to take more on. So I actually left for a larger firm in 2008 to become one of their lead designers. And uh, that firm was about 60 people. And 
that culture wasn't what I, I wanted. There wasn't a lot of collaboration. And in fact, the president of that firm was reprimanding me for, for making a mistake, which we all make mistakes. And by the way, when you make a mistake or when you fail, it's not actually a mistake or failure. It's a learning opportunity. So he's reprimanding me in front of the whole staff. And he, he is literally like this far from my face. And I'm a relatively confident man. And I said, Greer, if you don't back up, I'm going to kiss you. And he, he backed up very quickly. <laughs> I called Dave, who was, you know, who's like a father figure of me. He's 30 years older. And before I could say anything other than hello, Dave, he goes, when can you come back? And that, that was uh, the beginning of, of me becoming a partner at the firm or a family member, which we'll dive into deeper. You literally have the rags to riches, right? You start as an intern, you take your journey and, and obviously become, you become a partner. You obviously have Dave and, and I'd love to hear more about that relationship. And then eventually you get into the CEO role. That is, that's the American dream. You did it. You've done the American dream. Well, yes. And I'll, I'll take it a little further back. And I don't think I've discussed this. I grew up in a very poor African-American community. I grew up in the projects. I do strongly believe in white male privilege. And when I have that conversation with other white males, they often say, I didn't do anything. And my response is, well, that's the problem. You're not doing anything. And I'm not afraid of that conversation with African-Americans, but it did put me ahead and it did give me the ability to get my degree in architecture. So when you say rags the riches, I, I know what at the first of the month you get, you get fake money. And what my mother used to do is go and buy a single roll of toilet paper with a $20 fake bill and she would get $19 cash back. And so rags of riches, yes, uh, I would agree with that. <laughs> the more I talk to you, the more I, we learn. It's, it's, it never ends with you. Mine is blown. I wanna make sure that we dive a little deeper into your relationship with David Summers. And sure. you also had talked to us about in the pre-interview, Douglas Fuller. Yeah. Why don't, you, why don't you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah. So when I became partner, it was very clear that, that Dave cared about people more than profit and projects. And, and ultimately, that was the thing that, that resonated with me. I, I didn't know it at the time. I consider myself the world's first millennial. So all of you can blame me if you like, but we're here and we're coming. And if you really want to be scared, we're going to be your president in about 20 or 30 years. But Part of that is something bigger than you. It's about people. And, and back then I, I didn't realize that. And so when I came back, it was about the idea that people were bigger than profit and projects. And that was the instant connection that me and Dave had. When I left to go to the bigger firm for about a year and a half, I wrote him a letter and it was called quitter because I felt like I quit. And that's something I don't do. And when I said goodbye that last day, I gave him my key and we both started crying and we embraced him in a hug. And so when you talk about my relationship with David, he, he truly is a father to me. There is, if you look, there is some history about a man needing his father and then another father in his life. And most men have two that they're able to find. And, and David is, is that second one. DS architecture or design studio architecture, the DS comes from Dave. And we will always be known as people are first. Doug, on the other hand, Doug was a competitor of David's. He was, I think it was like about... 250 uh, yards, they were apart in their offices. And Doug was the designer in town and David was the programmatic architect in town. It was a small town of Kent, Ohio. It had about 20,000 people. And they didn't really ever compete against each other because of the way they operated the two firms, right? They're about a year apart. 
in 2016, Doug gives us a call and says, Hey, I'd like to talk to the both of you. So we meet with him thinking he might want to sell us equipment or, or something, take over his lease. I don't know. But he said, I want to come work for you. And I asked the question, why? Why would you like to come work with us? And he says, I want to transition my clients to somebody I trust. And, and ultimately, you know, I talk about a lot about people, but I also talk about radical candor and radical trust. And he, he did that. He, he believed that. And so he came on, on board. Wild. It's the greatest compliment when your competitor thinks you're the person that, because, you know, we all have that relationship with our clients, right? And it's like, I'm not going to just tell them to go somewhere else or give them to somebody else or tell them to go somewhere else that I don't trust. So that's like the ultimate compliment, I think, in yeah. the business world. Yeah, I appreciate that. I've actually, at age 41, I've been through five transitions or discussions about transitions with other firms that have always come to me. And I actually just had a discussion yesterday about a sixth. And at the end of the day, especially as a millennial, the world is bigger than ourselves. You ask why, and there's several reasons. It's they want to transition their people. They want to transition their clients. They want to make the most amount of money. They want to leave a legacy. And, and those things you have to uh, understand it's about culture and you have to align with the other firm's culture. If you don't, there's no reason to proceed. So out of those five that we've gone through, three have been successful, two have not. It is the so, biggest compliment, by the way. It's by far the biggest compliment to have that many come and approach us. Did you ever find out why they come up to you, right? You know, wow. why you? Why not Why not someone else? How do they figure out that you were or your company was what's it? That's a deep question. Um, I really think it's because they see that we have a pipeline of not only projects, but people that want to come to our firm. They see the growth we have had from four people up to 30. They see our passion for design and people. I guess that's how I would answer it. We've, we've gone from a, a small firm to busting on the scene Cleveland and you know, you can always sell to a national firm. That's where you make the most money. But most architects, they've made their money by the time they get to the age of retirement. And I think they want to give back to somebody who has a unique vision, somebody who's going to push the profession forward. I hope that's why they reach out to us. I, I can't answer it for sure. I've never had that discussion. So culture is obviously a big thing for you guys. And it's probably something that attributed to you getting the 40 under 40 award. So why don't you talk to, talk to us about what led up to that, you getting the 40 under 40 award, and what does that mean to you as a professional and as an affluminder? And then why don't we just talk about what an affluminder is? Sure. At that point, I didn't know I was an affluminder, and I was actually in the beginning of a manic episode, which is an extended period of time of complete euphoria that somebody bipolar has. And so we were, we were growing by leaps and bounds way too fast than we should have, way too awesome, optimistically than we should have. But you know, my firm saw uh, building design and construction had 40 under 40, which is a national award, and they submitted me. And I knew they submitted me. And, and when I, I won, and I get goosebumps right now, I, I never take anything that I'm awarded, even the Boston Marathon, right? Top 5% seems amazing. Is it, you can't do it without support, right? I need support from many people. And that award meant to me that us, the collective DS architecture family had, had put me in a position. I did not grow the firm. My director of design did not grow the firm. The firm grew us. And so that was a validation that we at least got to a point where we were able to be recognized for the first time on a national level. So what is an affluminder? We've, we've been talking about it a bit, but what is that? And 
you know, how has it actually impacted you? How did how did that actually come about? Yeah, so it was about a year and a half ago, and I have a mental illness, and I, I had a kind of a, a thought, a big thought, that I somehow wanted to impact and inspire those with a mental illness. And one of the things that I love in, in my life is I was actually in a psych ward, and we'll get into that in a second. And I met a young woman who graduated from Andrews University near Chicago, and we were there together. And uh, fast forward uh, to where we are now, and she sits right across the desk from me. That young professional thought her life was going to be over. And instead, she now aspires to be something. And that is where the the concept of doing greater good and you know <laughs> ultimately what happened is i have these big ideas because i'm bipolar I, I have a very unique brain and a very powerful creative kind-hearted beautifully simple and unique brain and th the idea that me and my wife had was to change the narrative of mental illness so we could change the stigma of mental illness and our goal and i'm not kidding is within 30 years is to win the nobel peace prize and we will do that. And you ask, well, how am I so confident? Well, I'm bipolar. When I put my mind to something, I always accomplish it. There is a long history of how my life got there. And we don't need to get into that. But I suffered a major trauma at 34. And it threw me into a manic episode. I ended up in the psych ward three times. And I attempted suicide twice. And there's not many CEOs that will say that publicly. And I say it proudly. Well, how did you come up with such an open-minded, unique approach? And I, I always respond with... I'm proudly bipolar, and that's something I'm proud of. It, it is not who I am, but it is a big part of me. If you, if you look up mental illness in, in a thesaurus, you're going to find I, unlimited amount of derogatory terms, lunatic, crazy, off one's rocker, uh, insane. I'm not any of those things. I happen to have a health condition that's as treatable as cancer or high blood pressure. Like, why, why, why shouldn't I dare to be great? Because society says so. People with mental illnesses are oppressed, especially if you're a child and you get diagnosed with ADHD, which my wife Renee has. So you have two people with mental illness being married together, which, which has so many benefits because we can support each other, but it, it has, they're both uh, mental illnesses. So there's some clashing that goes there, but young individuals are oppressed in a different way than any others are oppressed, uh, be it people of color, women, people of different sexual orientation, because they are given a label, a scarlet letter that is, is really hard to overcome, especially in the business world, right? And not my, my staff knows I'm bipolar. I'm sitting in front of them actually right now. They're proud that I'm bipolar. They stay with me because I can create a unique vision of bipolar. So how do you describe somebody like me or somebody like my wife who owns her own business? And, and it was mentioned, but the idea is taking the concept of affluency or abundancy. The etymology of flu is a free flowing river and then minder, minder, right? So it's aflu minder, someone who has a free flowing mind, not burdened by society's stigma. That's what aflu minder means. And we actually trademarked it and we presented now twice, once at a national conference actually on Monday. And every time I tell the story, including the both of you, right? Every time I tell the story and I'm vulnerable, by the way, vulnerability is our greatest strength. It's not close, right? We are on earth to connect to other people. And you do that by being vulnerable. There were 70 individuals there and it was called Finding Neuro. And it was by a company called Authentica. You should look it up, a great company. But there were brain scientists there. There were psychologists there. There were therapists there. There were people that were inventing new things, but they had never seen somebody so proud to have mental illness. And that, that is ultimately what we're trying to accomplish is have people 
not only understand they can be successful, but be proud of of who they are. And, and that's what we're trying to that's what we're trying to do. And you so, know, freeing other, freeing others of men, sorry, freeing others with mental illness to express themselves, that is worthy of the Nobel Peace Prize. We're going to, as I said in the quote, success, we, me and my wife, are going to change, reform a social condition. I hope that explains it. I could go on for an hour, three hours, two weeks. Jeff, wow. I think that a lot of our listeners are going to listen to this and probably even shake their heads and go, how is this possible, right? And I think that even for me, I struggle with ADHD on a daily basis, but it's a double-edged sword, right? You're using your, I'm going to call it bipolarism, being an affluminder as also your strength, right? You're using it to your advantage the same way that I use my ADHD to my advantage, right? You know what that makes things, you? What? Come on. Affluminder? That makes you an affluminder. You an affluminder, Will. So, but it's not talked about. There's huge stigma around it, right? And I'm sure there's mental images, movies portray, you know, these horrible, horrible concepts around being bipolar, around ADHD children, around all these different types of mental illnesses that maybe they're not just treatable, but you can use them to your advantage, right? Yeah. Time into your strengths rather than into your weaknesses. So, and I think you saw that in, I think it was Veronica. I'm sorry. Uh, it was your integrator. Yes, sorry. Oh, uh, your Felicia. Integrator. Felicia, my Felicia. integrator. Felicia. Yeah, Felicia. Sorry. I apologize. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. Why don't, talk, why don't you talk to us a little bit about that? You know, the challenges that you face, she's faced, and then why this is so perfect for you, why that combination is so perfect for you. Yeah. So, I mean, what, what you see in the movies and you see a lot of um, performers, be it, you know, professional sport athletes or actors, actresses, part of this movement of mental illness and a lot of them say they support mental illness but they don't necessarily come out with it selena gomez by the way is very open about her mental illness and so i you know i i I attempted suicide twice been in the psych ward three times have days of depression i have split my i don't know if you can see it but i split my head open not not too long ago actually and it's a lifelong journey and would you tell a cancer patient if you want to live stop making cancer cells that seems ridiculous right you can't tell somebody with a mental illness, if you want to be accepted by society, control your emotions. Well, we, we can't control our emotions, but the way our chemicals in our brain or the way they're connected allows us to be superpowers, right? If I told you that you could hire somebody that would take a problem you've been struggling with for a while, be it a process maybe, and they could take it three times as fast as anybody else to a to one, two, three or solutions, but they couldn't finish the 20% because they got bored with it. Would you hire them? I, I would. That doesn't exist. And yeah, you give the 20%, you get the three options to some other engineer. That's called ADHD. It's a superpower. Bipolar, my mind races so fast. It, it is so fast. It can take up so much information and distill it down to the 10% of where we need to go. Felicia takes that 10%, narrows it down to 1%, and that's where we go. And that was created out of my manic episode because we need somebody to stabilize the company. So she's a structural engineer, right? Perfect for an architect. She has a strong foundation. She and I believe in one simple concept. Why not us? Why not us change the world through architecture? Why not us be the one that gets the big contract? And that's where me and her connect. And ultimately her greatest strength is radical candor with me and the team radical transparency 
everybody in the firm has open access to all the financials of the firm. That's a bipolar thought, and she understands why. There's no reason not to do that. Once people understand they can, they don't care anymore, right? They don't even look. But once you don't tell them, they want to know. Her biggest strength is a two-letter word. It's called no. And so I've come up with all these crazy ideas. And literally, I once suggested we build buildings on the moon. And the next day, I came in and I said, we should be doing everything we can for Habitat for Humanity. Completely different thoughts. And I come in, and I say these things, and without her, the staff would be jumping. But she says, no, Jeff, this is the vision. This is the core focus. It doesn't, it doesn't help that we're going to move forward in this way. And I accept that. I trust her blindly. So that's, well, that's why she's, she's the perfect fit for me. They, they call us mommy, daddy at work. And I will tell you, we have very spirited discussions, but we always leave both inspired by each other and really appreciative of the different approaches uh, that we take. So it sounds like you've built a kind of a great culture of trust. And it also sounds like you're hiring the right people. How are you hiring the right people? Yeah, so um, obviously through our core values, there's five of them that we, we live our life on, uh, not just at the office. We obviously need people that are talented. Diversity, equity, inclusion is not about hiring somebody of color. It's about making sure that person of color knows they can uh, be successful at the firm. And even if they someday can become CEO. But the, the simple answer is, and it's what got us in trouble with our growth, is you know, you can think about individuals, independent of mental illness, gender, race, you, you can put them in buckets. And uh, we put people, we want to hire people that are eight, nines, and tens. And eight is a star. It's somebody who does their job very, very well and loves their position. And we have an individual who's our Revit champion, for instance, and he loves just producing amazing models and teaching others about Revit. He's an eight. He's a star. Then you have rock stars, and that's somebody who can lead stars, right? They can help manage, they can oversee several projects, they can connect the clients very well. And so those, those are nines. And then you have superstars. Those are the people that can inspire other people. And obviously, those are the, the toughest ones to find. And me and my director of design, Eric Prose, we are those tens. And you obviously can't have too many queens of the castle. So, you know, the two of us are the tens and we have nines and eights. And when we go through a interview process that usually takes a month and has three different interviews, we can tell if they meet our core values, if they're competent in what we're asking them to do. And if they're an eight, nine or 10, if they're not, if one person through the interview process, which has many people on our staff, has one red flag, we say no. And it takes a long time to hire people. But when we get them, they don't go anywhere. We haven't had any turnover during COVID. We haven't had the great resignation. We've actually come closer to each other. And it's built through a program called EOS, which I think some businesses are, are familiar with, but it, it starts with who you are and why you do what you do. Wow, you've got, uh, you got some great insight and we're also on EOS. So I can completely relate to how that changes a company's culture and be able to have people to connect. And really, I mean, I hate to say it, but through the pandemic, there's ways that we got closer that would not have happened otherwise without kind of this operating system. For those that are listening, if you don't know what EOS is, the Entrepreneurial Operating System, it is a process that was created by Gino Wickman. And there's a book called Traction, but that's the really technical book. The not so technical book, I think was called... Uh, what the Get heck is EOS? 
Well, thank you. ZOS is more to give out to the employees. We do give it out to our employees, but get a grip is more the fable version yeah. of, of a company's process of what it looks like when they are implementing uh, EOS. Very, very relatable. So we talked a little bit about your people. Why don't we talk about your process? You know, tell us your story about scaling from 30 and then back down. And yeah, it's a, what's the goal? A, um, the goal is, is happiness and love. <laughs> Everything else will fall in place. Yeah, we were at four when I became partner. We quickly, over six years, went to 33. I, I ate times the firm, and that means I took the revenue eight times. I also made some very poor choices because we didn't have processes in place. And that, that didn't help our people understand what the DS architecture way is. And we had a very large contract put on hold. We had another one that was taken away completely. And, you know, I remember the day that I had to I let go of 13 people. And uh, it was a very tough day, but my leadership team helped me do that. So we got back down to 13. We call them the Islanders, right? We were on the island, maybe Gilligan's Island or whatever. And the 13 of us have been together for a little over two years. We trust each other immensely. And during the pandemic, with the support of the government funding, we able we were able to focus solely on our processes. Well, not solely, we had projects and other things. And one of the things that came from that is what I call a firm management program. And that's way different than a project management program. It tells the future and we call it eight ball. And it's something that our director of operations came up with. And this individual was 24. When he asked to become director of operations, he's currently 27. And what we say is get somebody who's passionate about it, give them the tools that they need and get the heck out of the way. And so 8Ball takes information and it allows us to be goal oriented. And when I say that, we don't use timesheets. If somebody spends 50 hours doing something and that makes us quote unquote profit, and somebody spends 100 hours doing the same task, hits the same goal on the same date, they're both due June 1st, but that this other individual takes 100 hours and, and we, we don't make money on that, right? But we hit our billing, right? We have a total number we need to hit. Well, how can I, they're both DSI architecture quality, but how can I tell you which is more valuable? The person that made profit or the person that we can use that information in that portfolio piece to get new work. So 8Ball allows us to work with timesheets. We know our number of people we need 12 months in advance. We base it on 11 KPIs, our business development group, knows exactly how many projects to go after when our HR department, admin department knows what the billing is going to be. And it's all based on a firm management process, not a project management process, which I don't know if there's many out there. I've heard of some others, but I haven't really, really dug into that. So we went back down 13, we got processes in place, and now we're back up to 19. And we're actually not very far off from uh, the revenue we had when we were 33. And so you can tell what processes to do. They, they systemize what you're doing and designers, creative people don't like the idea of that, but when they systemize it, it allows you to do what you love, which is design. So that's the nugget right there. You, you have you know, two thirds of the people, but the rev number is the same. That's, that's what process can do for a company. Like and why process is so important. It's always the hardest thing to, to build, right? Like as you're doing things, like building out the processes, it's, oh God, it's just, it's a pain, right? <laughs> it, it totally is a pain. But if you're listening, that right there is the reason why you put processes in place. So you mentioned 8Ball. I want to come back to 8Ball for in a second. You also talked about your business development team. Do you, and you talked about, you've got 11 KPIs. Do you have KPIs for your business development team? And 
how are their goals structured? Yeah, so directly, we don't necessarily have KPIs, but what business development does directly affects the KPIs, if you will. And so what we do is, I I don't think it should be a unique approach to business development, but we focus one third of our time on our people pipeline. And what that means is we want to make sure that we have the right people in the pipeline, that they're ready to go when we're ready to hire. And we have maybe 15 of those with three you know, on, on the ready to go. Now, their lives change. They may not be in the same position, but you know, we go through basically two steps of the interview process and, and they want to get involved. So we spend one third of our business development marketing time on those future people. Our website's not meant for clients. It's meant for future talent, as, as an example. You obviously have the traditional way, which is pursuing new work. And we tried to spend about one third of our business development time on pursuing new work, creating new clients. And that's different than closing a deal. Creating a new client means you, you've never met somehow. You, you get in there. Oftentimes, it's a, it's a previous client. And you just ask the simple question, who else can you rec- recommend me to? Architects are notorious for self-negotiating, <laughs> but it's pretty easy to say who else you would recommend me to. And if they say no one, well, then you know you got someone you can you need to, to look into. And that's our last third. Our last third of our business development is spent on existing clients. That's, that's people. People create projects that create clients. When you start a firm, yes, you need maybe a project. But if there's three of you that start it, you start with people. And people, being good people, doing a good job, brings you projects and projects bring you other clients. It's cyclical. So our philosophy is people matter more than projects and profit. Our pipeline, one third is people. And I, I don't really hear many people talk about that. No pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's the, when you told us that initially, I thought that was fascinating. I thought that was like, you know, cause most, you know, most business development is like, crack that whip, gotta go get some more sales, gotta go do the thing. And to have it, on something that's not that's not directly right if you're saying people is the most important part but not directly new rev in the door that's again inspiring as as i was thinking as i was thinking about eight ball and maybe answering your question we started with why other other firms are interested in this is i have given eight ball now not the working version but still versions of it to anybody that has asked I have met with other partners of other firms that want to know what we're doing. And I'm open about it. Look, there's a lot of work to be done in the architectural industry. There's, there's a lot of people that are influenced outside the industry and within the industry. For me, if you, if you take what I've created and it works for you and you become be successful, all ships rise together. And maybe that ship rising together is other firms coming to me, but I'm giving, I'm giving away free. There's, it's a passion of mine. I'm giving away eight ball. I'm giving away the way my people were inspired. And, and it's surprising, the radical candor, the fact that everybody can know if they want what everybody else makes. They told me it couldn't be done. It, it actually is an incentment for people to, to grow. So it, it's just unique. I don't know. So, you know, you talked a lot about eight ball. Why don't you tell us exactly what it is, right? You, yeah. You've kind yeah. of flitted around it. And I think people are, you know, Obviously, Magic Eight Ball, but it's giving you foresight to twelve months into the future. Tell us, tell us more. I think you know there's something yeah. there. There's a lot of details about this magic technology that you've that you've created. Yeah. So artificial intelligence is is coming, and you know what we're trying to do is not just put information into a system, but let that information change other information, change other information, come back and change the original information. 
And, and so what it is, is it's actually a very complicated, I don't understand it at all, Google document. And what it does is it starts, you know, every business, and this is EOS, has business development, marketing, operations, and HR admin. You, you got to sell what you sell. You got to do what you do, and you, you got to keep your people help, happy and get paid. And so the idea is to systemize all these things. So you know, let's start from the beginning. Business development goes after, um, you know, say we need $3 million this year and they, and we want them to go after 6 million because we know statistically you get 40% of that. That's, that's the low end. So that starts to inform, it starts to inform us on, on where we might be going. Right. But you might only hit 20%. You, you, you don't know, but what you start to do is you take what's called a traditional backlog, which is how much you have in your pipeline. And then we have what's called a ruling 12 backlog. And we stack those two. We have it, it. We know how much staff we need. We have five studios. We need how much we need per studio. We layer on the potential business development and what that means. And the answer is somewhere in between, you know, 40%, 20%, your gut feeling. And so ultimately, what's what I love about this. Is that that focuses out into how many how much goals do you need to hit in a month to hit your billing to hit your profit rate? But what's ingenious about this right now? It predicts burnout of my people. It predicts if I'm going to overwork them, and I, I haven't heard of the ability to predict that. And that's kind of the artificial what? intelligent piece of it. What that is that is that's amazing. That's amazing. I, I don't yeah. I don't I. I also am very now I'm like, well, how, how do you do that? How do you take the AI and, and develop that into people's burnout rate or burn rate? I guess that's that's magical. That is a magic eight ball. You're, you're, <laughs> you're and, and then you take that utilization, you take that burnout rate. Right. And you go back and you go back to business development. Now, remember, business development is not just projects, it's people. Right. And so you go back and you say a couple of things. Well, we need more people. Well, maybe that's not always a smart thing to do. Right. So what we did is we gave a two week respite at the end of the year. Now, a lot of people say they close their office. I'm literally pulling the plug from the server because eight ball has told me my people are at max. And I've had so many people come up to me and thank them. I have an individual who's probably, probably our biggest, awesomest studio director, right? He has a flaw though. He works way too much. And I challenge him and I say, Hey, you work way too much. Do you really want to inspire this 22 year old to know that they have to be successful to work that much? And I, I told him, you're getting two weeks off. We're not taking it off your PTO. It's just a gift. And he, he comes to me and he goes, I've never taken two weeks off ever. And you don't think he's going to come back and be refreshed and crush it. We told all our clients, all our clients, we are pulling the plug, potential clients, current clients. We move schedules, not backwards. We move them to the next year in, in discussions for the last two months. Not one of them had an issue with it. Not one. They all said, I wish I worked there. That's amazing. I can't wait to get started back when you guys are refreshed. It's such a simple concept, right? We just make things too complicated. But this burnout rate, right? It tells me I can hire more people. It tells me I can lower my business development, how much I'm pursuing, right? It tells me I need to protect my current people. There's a lot of solutions it tells me, right? But it tells me literally 12 months in advance. So I have time to react. Do I want to hire more people? Do I want to slow my business development team down? Which is what we've done the last four months. We have actually slowed our business development team down on the type, the, the, the go get every project type to what we call, what we call plant seeding or harvest. You plant the seeds, you grow the clients, water them, keep them. And then when it's time, you harvest them. And that's what we did with our business development team. We slowed down them getting new projects. You ever heard of an architect doing that? 
No, I've never heard of that. Maybe a few smart ones, but but probably for other reasons. And those are few <laughs> and far between. Most of them are actually in EO, not to be confused with EOS. All right. Yes, I know the difference. Wow. Okay. You have talked to us about 8-Ball and what it can do. What are your future aspirations for 8-Ball? I, I mean, look, profit's not a bad word, right? I'm, I'm a business owner. Uh, what you do with that profit is up to you, but I want to make profit. And uh, I want to make profit for my people, for myself. And aspirations of 8-Ball are to systemize it in a way we can package it and sell it and compete against AO, Ajira, all these other programs, because I believe those are all project management based things. You get a project, you put in the fee, you put in the schedule, and it predicts a little bit into the future. This is a firm management software. That's different. And I actually have a national company who's very interested in exploring this. And so I want to get it to the point where I can take it and give it to everybody at a cost, a fair cost. And again, you would say, well, you're giving away your competitive advantage. Am I? I don't know. Am I making people's lives better? Is that success with what Ralph Waldo Emerson says? Hell yeah, it is. At the end of the day, I'm going to make my money. My people are going to get paid fairly. I don't need to be cutthroat. You know? So ultimately, I want people to have this. And it's got, it's got a long way to go, but it, it's on the border of being AI. It's got, it needs a programmer to take it to the next step. But yeah, I want to give it away at, at a fair cost, obviously. Jeff, thank you for sitting down and talking to us about mental health, about being an affluminder, about and being vulnerable with us today, about what it means to be bipolar, what it means to be ADHD, what it means to run a company with what others would seem, you know, make seem that the deck is stacked against you. Yet you've shown us that it's exactly the opposite, that you can take what other people might believe as weakness, as your strengths, it's your superpowers. And people, and thank you for spreading that message. If there's anything, just to kind of close out, is there anything that you want to tell the world? What do I want to tell the world? That's, that's pretty deep, Will. I want to tell myself something, because that's the only people, that's the only person I can truly, truly uh, invest in. And I am going to create a collective paradigm shift that'll create a mass movement of miners. They will be empowered members of society with worldwide impact, freeing others with mental illness to express themselves freely, to be successful. That is how me and my wife, Renee, will win the Nobel Peace Prize. And I say we, I mean we, the world, we got to buy in. We're unique, but unique in a very special way. And once you learn to use our talents, our superpowers, we're going to be arguably the most important people in your organization. Powerful message. If people want to get in contact with you, what's the best way for them to try to reach out, get a hold of you? Cell phone, 216-390-5962. I answer every call. I return every message. Jeff, thank you. Uh, thank thank you, you for being with us today. You're yeah, awesome. Absolutely. My, my pleasure. You're awesome. Thank you for joining us today and listening to this episode. If this episode did help you, then be sure to share it with someone else who needs to hear it. If you want to be a guest on the podcast or looking for additional help on your journey to find more wealth, scale, and freedom in your AEC company, visit our AEC resources page at spotmigration.com backslash AEC hyphen resources. resources.